I like to share my stories of sermon prep with you because it, it, it usually reveals about what's really going to happen today. And so on Saturday, I went. I needed to be by water, and because I just need to be, it really helps relax me. So I went to Ball Hill and and sat down by the stream, and I had worship music playing on my phone. It was really cool, and I turned the volume down. So I could hear the birds singing and hear the sound of the water uh, rushing over the rocks at my feet. It was it was really just this beautiful harmony of of worship music and God's worship music through creation. It was it was so moving that I started to cry, and I was worried about the people that were walking over the bridge seeing this guy crying, seemingly for no reason, sitting on these rocks. But I kind of got lost even from that, and I was just I was just moved. So moved by, by God that I started to ask him over and over again in my spirit, why me? Why love me? Of all the millions of souls that have ever lived on this planet, that will ever live on this planet, why love me? Why me? And I just, I just was just, my spirit was just repeating the, that, that more than just even a question, it was this yearning. Why me? God's response was just so overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly beautiful. I just do. I just do. I take it a great honor to be able to be part of what we do here in, in equipping all of us to follow him better. And we know that the word equip means to, to get a ship ready for a voyage, to get something outfitted, to get something to provisions, everything that it needs in order to go out and take a voyage for, for, for Jesus, to, to, do what he, to go where he sends us. I also think part of equipping is repairing the vessel. And certainly, the storms of life damage us. Our choices, they, they damage us. Other people, our interactions with them, sometimes they, they, they damage us. They leave us... Un- not ready to take a trip. <laughs> There's holes. Things that need to be fixed. So part of equipping is repairing that vessel. And I take it a, a, a seriously and I take it as a great honor to be able to hopefully be able to say words that could help you. To help me. To allow the, the Father to come and, and restore the vessel. And today is no different. We, we gather together, one accord, one mind, one passion, in order to worship this great God who loves us desperately because He just does. He doesn't need a reason to love us. He just does. We worship today with that attitude. We heard prayers with that attitude. I think God is telling us He loves us. He just does. He just does love us. And hopefully, through this, through this passage that we'll, we'll, we'll dive into in just a minute, we'll, we'll hear him say those words. 
I just love you. And I want to love on you more. But let's, let's just go to him in prayer and ask him to do that for us. Father, we ask that. I think in all of us is that question, why us? Why love us? And yet you just, you, you just sing with a response saying, I just do. I just do. So I ask, we ask to collectively as your, as your sons and daughters gathered in your name and able to, to, to be bold before you in our prayers and in our faith saying, Father, please show us what we need to know. Reveal to us areas of our life that are damaged that we need to bring to you. And say, Father, would you please restore this? Will you please fix us? Will you please heal this? So we come to you with, with this kind of expectation because we know that you love us. You just do. You just do. So I ask, Father, again, that you would empty me of me. And you would speak your words, your heart, your spirit. Everything that is of you come through this vessel. So that we all can hear your words of life. Oh, because we desperately need it. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever been mistaken for somebody else? It's happened. Everybody probably one time or another. Happens to me a lot. It seems for some reason this bald-headed goatee look looks like a lot of other people. But it happened even earlier in my life when I actually did have less thinning hair. And about 20 years ago, I was in the playground with a couple of my kids. It was a Saturday morning, and I am a Met fan, so I had a Met jersey on with, with uh, Howard Johnson's number on the back. Howard Johnson was the third baseman for the Mets way back in the day. And these people were staring at me as I was playing with my kids. And, and they were looking, and they were talking, and they were pointing at me. And sooner or later, they, they came over. And they asked the question. They go, uh, uh, are, are you Howard Johnson <laughs> of the Mets? And, of course, I said, yes. Yes, I am. <laughs> and someday when they go to sell that baseball I signed, uh, <laughs> they're going to be surprised. No, I, I actually told him I wasn't. At first, I played with him a little bit because that's what I do in, in life. I play with people a little bit. But they took it good-naturedly, and we had a good laugh about it. But sometimes when you tell people that you're not the people that, you, that, that they think you are, they don't believe you. And not too long ago, someone I was at a church sitting with a friend, and someone came up to me and was snapping their fingers like this. and going, Bill! And I went, No! <laughs> And the guy goes, really? Because <laughs> you look just like him. Pulled out my wallet, checked who I was. Yes, yes, okay, I am not Bill. Okay, I'm not Bill. But they don't, they don't believe you sometimes, you know. They got me to thinking. Sometimes we can look like someone or sound like someone or even act like someone by the amount of years or the amount of time that you spend with them. 
Certainly in a marriage situation, Christine, there's a lot about Christine and I that you can tell that I belong to Christine. And that she belongs to me. Just because we spent 33 years together, we start to rub off on each other. There's, there's nuances that we start to finish each other's sentences. We start to think like all the, and, and people say that they even start to look alike. Well, thankfully, she does not look like me. It's interesting to be with someone, to be with them, and how it affects how you look, how you talk, how you act, how you walk. It's amazing what that does to a person and to to their personality, to their character. It's pretty remarkable. And I think that's that's what we see in the the chapter 4 of the book of Acts. You can head there. We're going to read that in a minute. The book of Acts is amazing to me because I see the disciples, I see the followers of Jesus Christ discovering a new way to be with Jesus. It's totally different now. Jesus is not physically with them anymore. So they're discovering a whole new dynamic of how to be with him. He's not there physically. They've spent time with him, they walked with him they, they talked with him they saw miracle upon miracle see him turn water into wine raise people who were sick from their sick beds raise dead people, even himself they seen him calm storms with mere words they were with him they saw all that now he's gone physically So learning how to relate to Jesus, to learn how to be with Jesus, to discovering this huge new dynamic. And actually, we know that dynamic because this is how we relate to Jesus. This is how we are with Jesus. But they showed us how. They showed us this great dynamic. They discovered it. And in the the very first few chapters of this marvelous book of Acts, we're seeing this dynamic take hold of them and them running with it. It's amazing to me. This is a wonderful, powerful story. Last week we talked about Peter and John. They're heading towards the temple to pray. They see a lame man crippled for 40 years, not able to enter the temple, not, not because he can't walk, but because he is considered unclean because he's crippled. He cannot enter the temple for 40 years. Right there at the doorstep. Can't enter. Peter and John come along. They see him. They have mercy on him. They have compassion on him. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. We don't have gold, we don't have silver, but what we have, we're going to give to you. They help him to his feet. He gets healed, and they go into the temple together with him. Amazing story. Wonderful story. Powerful story about freedom, about inclusion, about the power of God coming on someone and healing them physically, spiritually, and relationally. It's an amazing story, powerful story. They do all this, and the religious leaders of, the, of that time, the same people that plotted and got Jesus arrested and then crucified, take notice of this, and they're really royally ticked off. They don't like what's happening. Amazing. Just think about this. These religious leaders plotted to kill Jesus. They, they arranged it all. They think this is done. This is over. We scared off the disciples. They're running scared. Man, we've, we, we've nipped this revolution in, in the bud. All of a sudden, they come 
across two men healing someone in Jesus' name, giving a great oration, and basically 5,000 people come into the kingdom. 5,000 men. We don't know how many women and children because they didn't count them. We got these Pharisees, we got these Pharisees, we got all these religious scribes and everything, and everybody is mad. They arrest Peter and John. Pick it up in the beginning of chapter 4. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple, the Pharisees came upon them, greatly annoyed, understated, because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them. And the only reason why the Pharisees are upset about this is because they didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. The Pharisees did. But the Pharisees, they didn't. Okay, so that's another reason why. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believe, and the number of the men that came to were about 5,000. On the next day, the rulers and the elders and the scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Ananias and the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all those who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, put them, basically put them in the middle, they inquired, by what power and by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today, being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed? Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, who you crucified, by the way, who God raised from the dead by him, is this man, this is why this man is standing before you well. This is Jesus. He is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, And he has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated men, they were astonished. And then they recognized that they had been with Jesus have been with Jesus. I'm going to take a closer look at that verse. When they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. That word for boldness means all out. All out. It talks about an attitude of being all out there, but getting all the words out. Everything out. Not holding anything back. It also means to be very frank. Very honest. And to be able to speak with assurance of the words that you're talking about. It says they were uneducated common men. If you can't tell, this was not a compliment. This was not a compliment. The Jewish leaders were astonished by the boldness of Peter and John because... Remember, these are the guys that basically murdered Jesus. They made the disciples run. Run for their lives. Now these men who had ran are speaking to them with great boldness. And seemingly very unafraid about what they could do to them. They were astonished. 
They were amazed that these same men who were, who were scared rabbits not less than a hundred days ago are now standing before them and speaking with boldness of who Jesus Christ is. All out. They were not impressed with Peter and John's qualifications. Peter and John didn't have any qualifications except that they had been with Jesus. Their boldness was amazing. But I thought about that for a minute. Weren't they with Jesus for three years? Didn't I just mention they, they saw miracle upon miracle? Situation upon situation where Jesus changed the life of someone. By the words he spoke, by healing. Jesus changed people's lives. They were with him for three years. They saw all this. But the night before Jesus was crucified, these men who saw all this, who were with Jesus, panicked and ran away. What changed? What changed from then to now they're speaking in front of the same people that basically murdered Jesus and they're being bold? What happened? I think two things happened. I think when they were with Jesus in those three years, they were with Jesus on, on, on their terms. How they saw the Messiah should be. Remember, they were still kind of mixed up about what Jesus was there for. There was a little bit of confusion. Was he there to restore the kingdom of David? Was he there to bring a political freedom? Was he a political Messiah? Or was he really the Messiah? See, they were relating and being with Jesus on their terms. The cross changed that perception very quickly. And then the resurrection changed their belief. And see, now they were with Jesus, but on Jesus' terms. Jesus restores them, and then he sends them to Jerusalem, and then the, the thing that happens then is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. These two things changed who they were and how they were with Jesus. No longer on their terms, but now they were on Jesus' terms, understanding the mission, knowing that they needed to be on mission, and throwing themselves completely into the mission. I think that's what changed. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. This is an extreme statement to me. The word recognize here means to know thoroughly, completely, and to perceive who a person is. To, to really get a person. To really, you see someone, you're not only recognizing their facial features, but you recognize something deeper about who they are. And that word with sounds like an ordinary word. But that word means union with, but it means that you resemble the person that you're with. There is an identification with that person. So it's more than just you're with someone, you're hanging out with someone. You're with that person, you're united with this person, and you are so close to this person that you actually resemble them by your words, by your actions. Everything that flows out of your life looks just like that person. Pretty amazing. There are three things I see in this that are that is really amazing to me about being with Jesus. What Jesus produces in us when we're with Him. 
I think one of the ways that people can, we can resemble being with Jesus is with compassion. Peter and John had this great compassion for this person that was begging for their existence in front of the temple. They took notice of him. They stopped. They ministered what they had. And they gave everything that they had. Not money, not wealth, but they gave them Jesus. The most important thing that they give given. So their compassion, just like... One of the first miracles that they saw Jesus perform was healing the lame man at the pool of Bethsaida. To me, it's kind of cool that that's the first miracle they performed. They look just like Jesus in healing someone who could not walk. And restoring walk walking ability, but walking ability spiritually, able to go into the place that they long to go into to worship God. Ah, it's a beautiful story. Powerful story. The other one is devotion. They can't stop witnessing. Look at verse 20. We'll start in verse 18. So they called them and charged them not to speak, talking about Peter and John. Don't speak anymore or teach them all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them saying, Whether it's in the right of sight of God to listen to you or, or rather to God, you must judge. But we cannot help but speak of what we have seen. And that word means know. And what we have heard. Basically they're saying, if you guys want to debate whether or not this is okay or not, you go ahead and knock yourselves out. Go ahead. You could debate all, debate all day long. But we're going to go talk about Jesus. Because we've been with him. So we're going to go. We're going to do this. So their devotion was off the charts. And this, the, other third, the third thing is, is boldness. They noticed that Peter and John were bold. They tell them not to speak about Jesus. Peter and John said, well, we can't help it. We have to speak about what we heard and what we've seen, what we know, because we know him. But the thing is... They get threatened. And remember, these are the people that, that killed Jesus. And they threatened the disciples. And so what happened? Verse 23. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. Saying basically, look, they threatened us. Told us not to do this anymore. The implication is that our lives are in danger. And when they heard it, what did they do? They lifted their voices together to God. And said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, by the Holy Spirit. And it goes on, and it goes on, and it says, Now look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. So here they are. They're being threatened. They're, they're being warned not to do this. And what is the first thing that they do? They go back and they worship and they ask for more boldness. Because they were with Jesus. I really truly believe that Jesus wants us alive. He wants us free. And he wants us powerful. He doesn't want us to bow our knee to any threat. To, to allow any threat to come against us and cripple us. Make us lame, ineffective, and feeling like we can't go on. We, we must hide. There's a beautiful part of this story I found truly amazing. Peter is speaking with much boldness. Now, Peter has the reputation for being kind of an outspoken guy, but this is something different that has happened to Peter. 
Because he doesn't seem to be very consumed about his past. Less than a hundred days ago in his life, Peter denied Jesus three times. Crippled him at that moment in his life. Absolutely took his legs out from underneath him. After the resurrection, Jesus beautifully brings him back into right relationship with him. And gives him a mission. And Peter is never the same again. He is speaking with boldness. Less than a hundred days ago, he betrays his master. And he says, you know what? That's not me. My past does not dictate my now. It has no hold on me. I am not crippled by that anymore. There is nothing that is hindering my walk. I can be bold because the spirit of the living God lives inside of me. And I have been with Jesus. And you know what? I continue to be with Jesus because of that. He doesn't let his past dictate his now. And often I believe when we are seemingly missing some of that freedom, some of that power, some of that aliveness, it's because we're allowing something in our past to cripple our now. We allow it. So I hear this question from, from God in the back of my mind. that says, where have you been? Where have you been? Are you hanging out in this past memory so much that you're no longer with me? Are you spending time with, other, with what other people say about you, about the things you've done in your past, that you're spending so much time there that you're not really with me? So when he says... Where have you been? It's because he misses you. There's not a chastisement there. There's, not a, there's no disgust in God's voice. It's a, it's a plea. Where have you been? Come, come here. Come here. I want you with me. I want you with me today and tomorrow and the next day. I don't... This, this thing, this past, this, this stuff... That doesn't have to dictate your now. I want you here. Because he misses us. So I love the fact that, you know, Peter's boldness is not hindered by anything that he, and he did, he did. Look, it's recorded in the scriptures what this man did for everyone to read. There's no small betrayal on his part. This, this man betrayed the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings. Jesus forgives him. Brings him into a, a new powerful dimension of being with him. And he is free. Amen. He is bold. And he is powerful. Powerful in the spirit. Bold in the spirit. Free in the spirit. And that's exactly what God wants for us. So, as we've been trying to do in every service, is to allow time for this to happen. If you need, if there's something in your life, if there's something in your past, if there's something in your recent past that you know is taking the legs out right from underneath you, causing you to be lame, hindering your walk in some capacity, do not leave today without being prayed for. Please just don't do it. We are gathered here together. It is no accident that you're here today. Mm -mm. 
You're here because God has called you to be in, in, in the midst of brothers and sisters who love you, who care about you, who are, who are wounded and broken in areas of their lives as well. Me included. When I, when I saw that story, when I saw that, that, that Peter was no longer hindered by something in his past, that he was, was not hindering his walk anymore, it, it just gave me great hope. So there's great hope here this morning. Please, there are people next to you who love you. The elders of the church will pray for you. Don't leave today without being prayed for. I urge you, I plead with you, not, not to do that.